to Make It Kick-Ass, a podcast about designing conferences people actually want to attend by the people who help create them. I'm Nessa Jimenez. And I'm Isaac Watson. This is a topic we have a lot of thoughts about, a lot of feelings about. <laughs> and I would say, uh, especially in the last two years, I think we've both gotten more radicalized in our views. So this conversation <laughs> yes. is going to be really interesting. Um. And why don't we just start this first half of the conversation <laughs> diving into the state of accessibility in the industry right now, uh, where we think it's failing. I, I, would, I guess our pet peeves, but it's more than just peeves. It's like the stuff that's not working and we as yeah. an industry need to be better about. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Like these aren't just pet peeves. This isn't just us. These are things that we've noticed are wrong. Uh, related to accessibility and events. And so I think that's why this is so relevant right now, because there's so much work we can do to help fix this. Um, so I think back to a couple years to a talk I heard uh, by Liz Jackson at a conference, uh, and she's a disability advocate and a design strategist. And she talks about disability dongles. And what she means by that is that there are... Um, there's a lot of like innovation and solutions and people thinking about um, how to fix accessibility issues that aren't actually issues. And so the, the classic example that she shared uh, is, and that uh, has kind of gone around um, is this like mind blowing device that was created by a bunch of design students. Uh, it's a motorized wheelchair and it climbs stairs. And so you don't need ramps anymore. Um, and it's this, you know, it has fancy motors and everything to like help the wheelchair user actually climb a flight of stairs uh, without having to get out of the, of the chair and, and without having to use a ramp, which in the abstract may seem great. But the reason it's a dongle is because it's a solution to a highly specific problem that isn't actually the problem. The problem is not how does a motorized wheelchair user get upstairs? The problem is why are there not more ramps and elevators in public spaces where mobility device users need to gain access? And so uh, what that solution does is fail to solve for people who can't afford a motorized chair, people who have a temporary disability, people who walk with a cane or have a stroller um, or any number of other situations where uh, the, a, mo a fancy motorized wheelchair that can climb stairs doesn't fix their problem. Uh, and so that innovation would be better served doing other things that are offer more accessibility to more people. So with this concept of disability dongles in mind, why don't we talk a little bit about what accessibility actually is? What, what, what should it actually mean to us as we create events? Yeah, I, I think for me, accessibility is about access. And it's not just about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, it's not just about, um, you know, can and people who are deaf or hard of hearing understand what's being said. It's about access, and that access comes across in various ways. It's access in pricing and affordability. It's access in 
um, the time required for someone to attend an event, uh, whether that's virtual or in person. It's it's about their ease and ability to um, to make an effort to participate and to engage. And that takes shape through uh, introversion and extroversion, through uh, social discomfort, through uh, neurodivergence. Like there's so many different ways that we can talk about accessibility across an entire, uh, for lack of a better word, spectrum of people, uh, of abilities, of uh, modalities, of economic position like it 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 is so deep and so rich and there's so much more that can be done and the the truth of the matter is event organizers and producers just aren't thinking about this and that needs to stop because the the longer we go without changing some of these things the longer we go without having uh plans in place and devising ways to provide better access to more people the more we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot in the process yeah, I agree. And the definition of access and the definition of accessibility right now are so limited and so not creative that that's part of the problem. Looking at the last year um, where suddenly everything's going virtual and it's opening up a lot of eyes and a lot of doors uh, to accessibility. But in the process, I think we've drawn a lot of shorthand. And so accessibility has become this... Um, this shortcut term for merely adding captioning to videos, for example. Um, and it becomes like a self-congratulatory pat on the back. Oh yeah, there's captioning. Captioning is available. We're accessible. Uh, captioning is good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, captioning also has a lot of issues in quality, in, in technical complexity and things like that. Also, captioning is not enough. Captioning is not the only way that your event can be accessible. It, there's been, it, we've talked about this at length before, there's been a, a proliferation of technologies and tools in the last couple of years. Captioning in particular has been really interesting. The more um, prevalent the content creation comes into play, on the web, um, so you have a lot of artificial intelligence providing captioning tools, um, auto transcription services, uh, and you're seeing things like you know Zoom now has built-in auto captioning, which is great, but uh, it's AI based, right? So what's the value between human captioning and AI? How well can um, an artificial intelligence detect uh, different accents or dialects, um, or for non-native English speakers, uh, how how thick is their accent, and how how does that come through from an AI standpoint? While captioning has become this kind of broader, um, uh, prevalent part of live streams and live events and virtual events, there is still a very broad spectrum of quality um and it's it's all over the map i mean i've seen hard-coded captions in videos that cover up slide text and so you can't read either um and like that's that's not helpful that's just confusing 
Uh, so how does that help your accessibility? And let's be yes. honest, AI captioning is so popular because it's just way cheaper. It's the cheapest option. So of course, that's the yes. one that, that has picked up speed, right? But it's not great. And forget about heavy accents. Like, I'm someone that has the eternal, like, stuffy nose sound. And AI is awful at understanding <laughs> the things that I say. But I, I, I think what this brings up is that, like, you mentioned cost, right? Um, cost is a major influence. And I think what this what this alludes to is a broader uh, issue where, from an accessibility standpoint, capitalism disincentivizes the effort and the expenses mandated by accessibility, right? So like, if there, if there are, say you're going to have an event of a thousand people um, and you know, say you're collecting great registration data and you know that you have, uh, you know, two or three attendees who are deaf or hard of hearing or could otherwise benefit from captions. Um, event organizers then start to look at the bottom line and say, well, is this, is human transcription, is a more expensive captioning service worth it? Or can I get away with a cheaper AI version of captioning? And then you're starting to calculate your, your decision based on money. Uh, and, you know, what it, and so that plays it, well, I, I'm sorry, but even if you only have two or three people who have a direct benefit from a particular accessibility service, that's valuable. And I think that that's, that's one of the problems that we need to address is that these types of services need to become standardized and planned for in advance rather than being kind of reactionary, you know, let's, let's check a box or let's quick, let's fill a need with a free tool or a cheap tool or something like that because, because it's better than nothing. Now that we've aired our grievances, <sighs> it feels good, right? <laughs> We're going to take a short break and we will be right back and we'll talk a little bit more about our sort of accessibility journey and how we've both learned a lot and how we got to our thinking today. Welcome back. Let's jump right back into it. So for this segment of the show, we want to get into our kind of accessibility journey. First of all, we are not experts at all in any of this. Um, and we have definitely made mistakes along the way. So it would be very hypocritical for us to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, we're 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 the best. We're, we're so good at access. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm far, far from the 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 person that wants to just pat myself on the back and say that we've got this. Um, I think that we have learned a lot in the last several years about what may, what, what about accessibility is important and fully acknowledging that we have made these mistakes. I mean, I mentioned earlier, like I watched an attendee at an event I was producing, you know, with the chair collapse out from underneath her. And, and that I just like, I could not believe that I had thought of that, that, um, 
that that was that was like the first time that it even entered into my consciousness. Um, and so, and you know, we've talked about captioning a little bit, and we're going to talk about it more. We've talked about geographical accessibility. These are things that we've learned uh, and noticed and observed and had received feedback on uh, from attendees at our events that are informing the way that we move forward. So, uh, I, my hope through this is that we can share some of the things that we've learned and some of the ways that we want to change the way that we do events going forward and the ways that we are changing the ways, how we do events um, to help, help the industry continue to make progress faster than it has been because it's starting to become really painful to watch. So let's get into captions then. Let, let's let's walk through kind of the lessons that we've learned and the process behind that. Yes. So I have, uh, you know, years, years ago, I kind of realized and bought into the idea that live events should be captioned for uh, accessibility reasons, that it's beneficial to a lot of people, not just to deaf and hard of hearing, but those who... Um, you know, have, who maybe don't speak English as their second language, if all your content's presented in English, reading can often be easier to digest. There are certain people whose learning styles are different. I mean, it, it like, it, it hits a lot of potential access issues. So captioning generally is important. And live transcription services in a live event setting um, were kind of just like, this is a thing we'll do. We know how it works. We have vendors that do this. Um, it, it's good. Um, and the big kind of wake-up call, um, in addition to the technological advances that I mentioned previously, um, is that when virtual events started happening, I just kind of assumed that captioning would carry over into a live stream fairly easily. I mean, we get captions in TV and film all the time. Uh, closed captioning through broadcast television is... Um, just kind of a standard these days. And so I just I just kind of assumed that it would be easy. Well, turns out <laughs> it's not. And I was wrong. Um, and, and I realized very quickly that um, the same tools that we were used to using in person do not necessarily translate in the same way as uh, the tools that are available. Uh, through live streaming, um, you know how how can you best offer live transcription for live streamed content? In regards to the technology, that was a big lesson for me. Of how many platforms have different ways of integrating different things, and how there's so many ways it could go wrong, and there's so many ways that they just don't play well with other other tools that you assume they would and they just don't. So there is this process where you need to do a, a little bit more research of, okay, I want to use this platform, but how does this platform handle captioning? What can it do? What can't it do? And, and I hope that this will become standardized. I really do. Yes. That, that platforms will come around and they'll stop locking captioning behind enterprise tiers and that they'll stop, um, you know, I remember you asking one platform if if certain accessibility features were on their roadmap, and they were like, eh? "Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, no. <laughs> like <laughs> I've had people straight up say no. People just kind of not answer the question because it, 
it's not a priority for them, but they don't want to yeah. admit it because they know that it looks bad. Yes. And and this goes back to the 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 incentivizing issue, the the anti-incentive that capitalism brings into it, right? It, it does it affect their bottom line? Well, not enough for them to prioritize it. And that's that's really disappointing. Um, but I think I think if I if I can kind of sum up the captioning thing, I think that there was a big learning curve um, between what we were used to doing in an in-person setting and what's possible or challenging or technically complicated or expensive uh, about captioning live streams. And so, you know, we've now developed standards on what is our target for good captioning. How can we provide this through these particular platforms? We know what we need to ask of any platform that we're going to approach for hosting the event. Right. We know which live streaming tools we uh, are willing to use based on the features available to us. So creating those kind of I mean, it's it's policy, it's standards, it's um, kind of baseline expectations and understanding what requirements we have and that we prioritize for the events we produce so that all of our clients can benefit from that. That's that's the key for me. Jumping from that to, I think, the second, like, really big area where we've had a lot of learning is what is geographical accessibility. Yeah. So, again, we talked about this in in the first segment a little bit and identifying some of the problems. And we've been through this. Like, I was like, oh, this in-person event is pivoting to virtual and suddenly... You know, 40% of the attendees are international, where maybe 5% of them were before. Uh, This is great. Yay. Amazing. And then the event happens, and we realize, oh, there were kind of some holes. So they weren't able to attend the live activities because it was the middle of the night. Um, There was a lot of date confusion, time zone confusion around when is the program actually happening. So that's a communications issue. Um, And to some extent, a platform issue. Can we just air our grievances about platforms that don't auto-convert to local time zones for the scheduling? (sighs) Throw that out there. That's that's (laughs) the worst. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is Um, just the absolute worst. uh, We we talk about... um, or what some of the other things we realized were um, networking opportunities are really hard for for people to join, um, especially if you're scheduling like pre-event networking, making sure you're paying attention to like where where are your attendees uh, coming from? Do we do you know? Are you collecting that data, uh, or are you just guessing based on email addresses or something? Like having better data is going to give you uh, better information to. To make decisions on even pricing you know economically it's very different from uh you know a, a developer working in i don't know lithuania um to attend a tech events financially than it is for somebody working in the bay area in silicon valley um where the economics around employment are very different and so how do you how do you provide access for for attendees from different socioeconomic backgrounds 
so that they can still contribute because their participation is valuable. In terms of what we've learned about uh, geographical accessibility, the big question is, is this actually valuable to people uh, all around the world? You have to sit down and go, okay, this con- we designed this content with who in mind? Did we really design this content for people that are from a completely different culture that we don't know about? And, and if so, if we do intend those people to participate, how do we make sure that what we've created is inclusive of them? And how do we market in a way that it's clear to them that this is for them? They are included in, in our group as well. Exactly. That value for us translates is, has begun to translate into our initial strategy process. So identifying who the target audience is, where are they coming from, um, who are we catering to uh, from an attendee standpoint, what are their values, how can we provide a good experience for them. That plays out through speaker selection. Uh, Diversity and inclusion in speaker selection is critical. It absolutely makes sense to have representation in your speaker lineup for that audience segment. Absolutely. It also carries through to, uh, you know, we've started thinking about rebroadcasts for live streams. Uh, Can you rebroadcast in a more friendly time zone to a specific region if you have a concentration of attendees there? Uh, So that they don't have to be up in the the middle of their night to be able to catch a live recording uh, or a live stream. So these are some of the things that we start to build into our process the more we realize that it's important. Uh, It's about community building. It's about... Um, consideration for the effort and and the uh, the ease at which we want people to be able to attend an event and to participate in an event, and it starts to get us to question what our commitment is to these broader geographical areas. This opens up this whole set of questions uh, that are very strategic and very important to have to make sure that we're making geographic accessibility a priority if that is indeed a priority to us. Because if it isn't, then you shouldn't pat yourself on the back about it just because it's conveniently happening. I just wanted to point out the fact that even though we've talked a lot about captions and a lot about geographical accessibility, I want to remind everybody again that the topic of accessibility is huge. And we all need to do a lot of work in opening up our definition of what access and accessibility means, because we're doing a disservice to a lot of people. Um, And it's impossible for us to touch on all of those things in just this one episode, but we do plan on touching on this again in the future and and focusing on on other aspects of this. Yes, we we chose two examples for, for sake of brevity and two examples that we're very passionate about, but you're absolutely right. Accessibility, like we mentioned at the beginning, is so much broader than just captions. Accessibility is so much more than just where are my attendees. Uh, it, it is an integral part of the attendee experience. Too long, didn't listen. Event accessibility is not just about captions. And we're here to tell you that it needs to change because the more we do virtual events, the more that we want to go back to in-person events, 
the more we need to focus on accessibility. Accessibility is about access. That access is really about your attendees' experience and how much uh, how easy it is for them to participate and engage based on their own lived experience. We are making efforts to make sure that accessibility is becoming more and more important to our clients and to the work that we do from the very beginning. We have identified some ways that we do that through captioning uh, and the tools and the, the techniques and the, the processes that are involved with that. We've talked about geographic accessibility and some of the policies and standards around representation and um, convenience and things like that that we're doing. We have to build accessibility into the event planning and production process from the very beginning. All right. And thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with others. Please also leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's really helpful. Um, and if you want to learn more about us, about what we do, to find full show notes, transcriptions of uh, our episodes, you can find us at our website, kickassconf.com.